was aggravated. I was aggravated. I never had any money. I never had any close, challenging friends. I never had any mentors. I never had any opportunities. So you're faced with two opportunities. You settle or you go for it. Hey, Nick Nanton here, and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on YouTube. So before we continue, be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching. Hey, everyone. Nick Nanton here, uh, back for an episode of Now to Next. I'm in my studio office here. Uh, I'm going to blame Parker because he didn't get the camera set up in time but I told him it was tomorrow, so I messed up too. But uh, I'm here excited to have my good friend, uh, Mr. Steve D. Sims, uh, on the line here with me. Just spent a little bit of time with you just a couple weeks ago, Steve, in Toronto. How, how are things? Good, good. Toronto was fun, uh, and it was good to just be able to sit in that that really cool restaurant and just, just chill out with you on our favorite mezcals and whiskeys. It was a cool night. It's a good time, and we all learned that Steve loves hugs. So if you see Steve, give him a hug. Shut up! <laughs> stop that! Yeah, I'm British. We hug. We hug horses and dogs. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, all right, Steve, you are most well known. Well, probably by now you're actually best known differently than when I first met you. Uh, you're known as the author of Blue Fishing. Uh, yeah. You had a concierge service, a high-end concierge service uh, that you helped people all across the globe uh, get pretty unbelievable things. And I think people will find it fascinating that once you started asking, well, why am I getting these things done and no one else is? The answer is pretty profound. Uh, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. You started out as a bricklayer in London. Tell us how you got from bricklayer to high-end concierge service. Give us the highlights. Uh, very easy and the exact same story as absolutely everyone that's listening to this. I was aggravated. I was aggravated. I never had any money. I never had any close, challenging friends. I never had any mentors. I never had any opportunities. So you're faced with two opportunities. You settle or you go for it. And I thought to myself, I've got to surround myself with, with people that can challenge me and support me. So I failed a lot trying to get to that situation. And the funny enough, you would have thought that the the lowest point of my life would have been it. I was a doorman of a nightclub, so my job description was to punch people. Um, but I suddenly started interacting with people and suddenly started becoming very, very good at communicating and recognizing problems. You know, what do you want? And of course, being a doorman, everyone that goes out at night wants a good night out. So I knew where all the nightclubs were, how to get you into restaurants that were booked out, how to get you backstage, and it grew. It grew from getting you into a nightclub to literally working with Sir Elton John's Oscar party, Cartier's Polo, the New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, Formula One. And I became the most connected guy to billionaires throughout the planet. But the funny thing is, I didn't do it for that. Now, me and you know each other. I'm not the kind of guy that really gives a shit about walking down a red carpet. I did it because if I could get you a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses or close down the uh, the museum in Florence and set up a dinner party for six at the feet of Michelangelo's David. If I could do that for you, you'd spend two hours having a conversation with me. So I was basically doing what you're doing now. I was podcasting before podcasting uh, and just happening to interview some of the most powerful people, people in the planet on how do you look at relationships? How do you communicate? How do you look at business deals? And then I, of course, because I'm not that stupid, I would implement that advice on my stuff, be it on a smaller scale. But of course, over the years, I used all those tidbits 
And then uh, five years ago, as, as you know, we both mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, I wrote a book which I thought no one would actually buy. Really didn't think it'd take off. And it did. It went bestseller all over the place. And I really just work on the simple but impactful ways to communicate the ROI on relationships and how to really have you going for more than what you think you can achieve. That's the highlight, Bill. And now I'm just a guy that likes riding around on motorcycles, teaching, speaking, coaching, and just enjoying a bit of life. Love it. That book is called Blue Fishing. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about your new book, Go for Stupid, coming out October 18th. Uh, if anyone wants to check it out, uh, it will not be available until the 18th. Very strategic, uh, strategic launch uh, strategy they have. And uh, so go to you can go to goforstupid.com. Is that correct, Steve? That's that correct. You can find more about the book, but put it on your calendar. Help Steve uh, share the book. I, I have read a pre-release copy. It's incredible. You're going to learn a lot. Blue Fishing is also great. So maybe go buy that one now and put the put it on your calendar to buy uh, Go for Stupid on the 18th. We'll keep talking about that. You know, Steve, the funny thing about you just saying that, um, you, you had a few more years of experience than me when you did that. But my goal, when I started making documentaries, um, I wanted to make a library of content because I was frustrated. As a kid, you know, as a young guy, I, I didn't have money. I didn't have resources and I, as I got into rooms with people like you, our mutual friends, Joe Polish and Dan Sullivan, Peter Diamandis, the names gone and on, you know, we, I wanted to provide the opportunity for those who maybe didn't, weren't in a place in their life with their business that they could go get into those rooms and afford to travel there. Or maybe a guy or a woman in Calcutta who just wouldn't, they would never have the opportunity. So how might I be able to share the wisdom of these people that, I'm blessed enough to be in the room with, with the rest of the world so that people like me when I was a kid or a budding entrepreneur that I could get that same education. And on top of that, I really am creating a library for my kids. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want them, I want them to be able to learn from the people who I'm learning from now. Cause you know, they won't be around forever. And, but what I didn't realize is uh, there's a couple things, actually, number one, I didn't realize how much, I was going to get out of those interviews. Like I get the most, I think I get the most personal development of anyone I know. I mean, I interview everybody who's at the top of their game and I interview them about their business. I interview them about life and personal stuff and development. And it's, it's, it's mind blowing. And the other thing I honestly didn't expect Steve was that, you know, for me, like every movie leads to my next movie. And so the, the network effect is, is mind blowing because no one, the types of films I'm making, no one wants to introduce you to their best friend who's a loser. It's like, hey, have you met my friend, the governor? Have you met, you know, can I introduce you to my friend, Magic Johnson? I'm like, sure. And so it's it's pretty mind-blowing that success breeds success. Successful people hang around with more successful people. And uh, just the network effect of that has been amazing. I'm sure you've dealt with the same thing, not only in your concierge service, but look, you just had a huge speaking gig at Trafficking Conversion what, mm-hmm. last week or a couple weeks ago. Um, what is what has that network effect been like for you by meeting people who are all just killing it at this level of the game? It's very easy for anyone to be listening to this going, oh, it's easy for you guys. You know, you do this, you've got Peter Diem, but we didn't always have those people. No. But we always had the mentality. And I think that's what we've got to get through. Before you start hanging up on this podcast, realize that it's not the, hey, we've got these people. It's that we were in the right position to put ourselves with those people. If you're sitting there going, oh, I could never speak to them. You're right. Me and Nick are sitting proof here 
that we had a focus, we had a vision to better ourselves with education. Both of us went slightly different ways. You went down the documentary route because of your extreme talent. I went down getting them into the back end of a nightclub or into a concert. So we both, both went down different ways for the same goal, to put us in a position to be able to have a conversation. So we were determined, we were focused, and neither of us cared about all of those cretins laughing at us. Now, in today's world, sadly, and it's one of the reasons why my new book's out, in today's world, you'll be sitting there having an idea, and then you'll go back to the, to the bar, the pub, the coffee shop, and you'll start telling your mates about this idea, and they'll glaze over. They'll just go, oh, Nick, have you gone mad? And you're faced with two opportunities. One, get the fuck off that table and go and find a table with people to challenge you. Or sit there and go, eh, I don't know what was going on. Someone must have spiked my coffee. I'm going crazy. But don't worry, fellas, I'm back now. You need to focus on step one. The key thing that you did, the key thing that I did, was we sought out people that would actually challenge and support our aspirations and visions. Joking aside, like you were saying in um, us getting together in Canada, you know, I was doing a speaking gig, you were there, we were doing documentary. There was a lot of work going on, but the real power, thanks to Giovanni, we got to give him a shout out for Archangel Summit, was that you're in a, a room full of people that won't accept where they are. They may be successful, but they want more. They may have a horrible job, but they want out of it. They may be working from home and they want a better life for their family and better relationships. We all start off by being aggravated. Your choice is to whether or not to allow that aggravation to actually do something for you or have it do to you, which in essence will suffocate you. So don't be sitting out there going, oh, it's easy for those guys. I swear me and Nick could do a live that would last maybe two weeks if we actually went through all the shit storms that we've been through. We're both sitting very nicely. We're both ordering top shelf whiskey and mezcal now. But that wasn't always the time, you know? And we can both, like anyone listening, remember those days on a Wednesday when you're panicking to keep the lights on paying payroll, making the rent at the end of the month. Can you get this deal? Going for the deal, but you can't even afford the bus to get to speak to that person. We've all been through it. We've also been lied at, laughed at, screwed over, sued. It's just half of the course of being an entrepreneur. But it's the difference between being an entrepreneur and a wantrepreneur. So stay true to it. You'll be good. I love it. I'm going to tease out a story so people keep listening. Uh, there's a great story that you have about e the Elon Musk saying something to you in a group you set up. Yeah, that really that really teased that all up. So we'll get to that in a second. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's a really valid point. So I mean, look, you were a bricklayer in London. I'm an immigrant kid whose parents, you know, took the opportunity to move to America when I was one with my brother and a bunch of our family moved up. And you know, it was um, up there, ups and downs my whole life and scarcity was just a big part of our life. And it just, you know, that's the, that was the lot we were given trying to make it in a new country. And I, there's been so many times, I mean, that I, I talk about, I don't know, I've talked about it in the podcast, but I talked to friends about, it. I mean, when I came out of school and from undergrad and law school, I had so much student loan debt that I had two choices. I could basically, well, student loan debt, first of all, you can't get rid of even in bankruptcy. And mm. so, okay. So like, 
sunk there no matter what, which I think that's an interesting concept. Not that you should be able to bail out of debts that you have, but student loans are, are very predatory the way they're given uh, and the way the price of college has never gone down, only gone up since the government started backing student loans. So there's a, there's a great documentary in there too, by the way. But um, I, you know, I had two choices. I could, I could fold and cry in the corner or I could try to flip real estate. So I tried to flip real estate and it worked out for a couple of years until the crash hit. And then I was, you know, I was making like 50 grand a year and I was like $2.4 million in debt um, from trying to flip houses. And there's been so many times like that, that when I think I learned the most, actually when the pandemic hit, you know, I didn't panic, but you know, you start having all these conversations in your brain about anytime there's uncertainty. You have these voices in your head telling you things and, oh gosh, Nick, what if, what if you do the same thing you did last time there was a major economic crash? What, but what I've learned, I'd love to hear your feedback uh, as well. You know, I realized what made me calm down is that like what I've learned since 2008 till 2022 uh, is invaluable. You know, 14 years of wisdom that even if you take it all away, um, I can earn it back. Like, and so when I had that, when I was able to calm myself that way, like, Hey, if the economy totally hits the fan, it's what it is, but I have different skills now. So I have a level of confidence and that level of confidence allows me to take risks that I, I calculated risks, but risks that I wouldn't have taken a long time ago. I mean, for instance, you know, when I met you for the first time, when I met Peter Diamandis for the first time, Steve Forbes for the first time, it was in Joe Polish's room and Joe runs a, a group that's 25,000 a year. I didn't have 25,000 a year and it was 10 grand to get into the annual event. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll start there. But I mean, honestly, I had to put it on a credit card, but I, I put it on a credit card. I went, I knew some people who were there. I met some people, gained some other relationships. I ended up doing multiple millions of dollars in a couple of deals with Steve Forbes out of that room. I ended up doing Peter Diamandis' documentary. I had to bug him for like three years before he said yes. But like, you know, I've done Joe's documentary now. I met Dan Sullivan for the first time. Then I did Dan Sullivan's documentary. Like, a rich room, but you know, to be fair, I had to believe in myself enough to pay the $10,000 to say, you know what, this may not work out, but I'm going to, I'm going to pay the fee to get into the room. I'm going to, I'm going to give value first and I'm going to go. And I, of course I got a ton of value out of it, but that's what I made out of it. So I'm not telling everyone on the call, it might be right for some of you. I'm not telling everyone to do it, but maybe you do have to take that risk on yourself. Spend the $10,000. I mean, Jack Canfield, you know Jack as well. Chicken yeah. Soup of the Soul, 500 million books. I met Jack three times. I was trying to do a deal with him, and he was a really nice guy, but I couldn't get him to, I couldn't get him to return my call. When he wasn't in the room with me, I never heard from him. So I bought an iPad. I filmed a video saying, hey, Jack, Nick Nanson, I've been trying to reach you. I've been calling you. I've been sending carrier pigeons. I've been emailing you, and I haven't heard back from you. I'm just trying to make you some money. So if you get this and you want to make some money and have some fun doing it, call me back. So I bought an iPad. I did that at FedEx to Jack Canfield. And Jack, you know, he responds. And we do millions of dollars in business together. And that's in a simple example. Again, that does take some resources, but it was like 500 bucks. And so I gave first. I was saying, you know what? Let me, let me provide value first in some way, shape, or form. And only then could I possibly not even expect it back, but, but maybe anticipate it might come back. So a lot of this is all about um, taking the risk, taking chances on yourself and, and believing yourself and, and doing it in an intelligent way. Like, you know, we just sold our biggest documentary to Disney plus and ESPN, you know, I, I, 
I probably wasn't ready to do that five or six years ago, even though I, maybe I thought, why aren't they paying attention to me? So part of this is self-awareness and like realizing you have room to grow as well. Um, the Elon story, tell us, you set up a group of people to go to, to SpaceX with Elon Musk, the man, the myth, the legend himself. And you asked him, someone asked him a question, I don't know if it's you, about NASA. And tell us that story. Yeah, it, it, so we had, we had this event. Uh, I think there were like 30 people there. There were some of the richest people in the planet from literally all over the planet. Um, and I had to go and get Elon and bring him into this uh, conference room to meet these people and have a conversation on what he was doing in the development of SpaceX. This was before NASA actually partnered with him, um, which in itself is a bit of a joke because, you know, NASA, NASA's idea of partnering is to stick a decal on Elon's rocket. So that's funny as in itself. Um, but at the time, NASA was publicly humiliating Elon Musk for anything he said about civilian exploration, okay, space exploration. So as I went over to get Elon, I took two of my clients just to, you know, give them a little bit of a bonus. They got to spend a little bit more time with Elon than the 30 other people waiting in the room. So my two clients are with me. We're walking through SpaceX to this room, and uh, that's to my left me. Now, one of my clients directly to my left, he was just happy to be walking through SpaceX with Elon Musk. You know, he, would, he couldn't have been happier. The one on the far left wouldn't shut up. He was like on coke. He was like, so Elon, do you want to do it? And it, it was like 900 mile an hour interview. Elon's not a chatty fella. He doesn't waste his time with a drivelly conversation. Wasn't even responding. And all of a sudden, my client, who by now I'm thinking I'm going to have to poke, he turned around and said, so Elon, uh, how do you feel that NASA are publicly humiliating you for everything you say about space exploration? Now, this was the only thing that actually caught him. And he, he didn't even look around. He just said, you know, they'll always laugh at you just before they applaud. And that was it. That was the mic drop. And I was like, damn, that's good. And that's how we are today. We've got to keep going because everyone we revere has had stupid, not impossible, stupid goals and ambitions. Steve Jobs couldn't write code. Didn't stop him. You know, Elon Musk knew nothing about banking. PayPal, Larry Page, uh, Jean-Paul Gaudier, um, uh, uh, Richard Branson, anyone that we revere today had these stupid goals and actually went for them. And like you, again, you didn't sit around responding to the people laughing at you. You didn't recognize it. You didn't accept it. And you talk about, you know, being in a position one of the questions I get a lot of times in podcasts are things like, oh, if you could go back in time and tell your younger self, what would you tell them? And I've always said, just stay off the shit whiskey. It'll watch your guts. Why should we remove all of that empowerment? You see, you had debt. You had problems. You weren't getting responded by Peter Diamandis, uh, Steve Forbes, by uh, Jack Campbell. You were getting no response from these people but by you constantly reaching out your level of communication skills got better and better and better now things can only get better when they start off shit and that's the thing about an entrepreneur and i'm going to break it to you all out there the first time you do anything as an entrepreneur it's going to be shit and a mutual friend of ours ari mizel he openly says hey get going and then get good and that's the thing 
don't don't look back at all of the the, the troubles and the tribulations that you've been through and go, oh, woe is me. I was nearly bankrupt and I had this. That's your education. You are a great rock of education. You are a superior communicator. You are a master networker. You are a superior business person because you overcome that shit. You didn't allow it to define you. You allowed it to refine you. Absolutely. And, you know, the we actually were doing uh, two days of uh, of business planning the last couple of days with, you know, those of you who know the EOS system and Gino Wickman using his system and doing a two day or two day annual retreat with my team. And, you know, we, we set this, you know, the, the big, hairy, audacious goal. You guys have heard that term before for a 10 year goal. And man, we sat there and imagined what it's going to be like when we hit this goal and it felt really good. And yeah. it's human temptation to go, man, I wish I was there right now. And it, it takes me back to my business partner, Jack, when I'd say things like, man, I wish, like, I don't know, it depends on what I would say, but he'd always call me on it when I essentially said, I wish I was where he was right now. And so it, it could be a guy who's, let's say, in his early 60s, living the dream, got a, I don't know, $100 million, great family. Let's just say everything's perfect. And But mostly it was about achievement and, and trying to get resources and money and being able to do things. And he'd go, well, Nick, what if I told you you could have that? And I'd be like, oh, boy, that'd be amazing. He goes, but, you know, let's just say I was 35 at the time. He goes, but you got to give up 30 years. So I can I can give you that right now, but you now jump to 65. You lose 30 years. I'm like, oh, I don't. Mm, no, I'm not willing to give up 30 years. And even now, like the temptation yesterday was like, I wish I was there right now. But man, there's now, now that I'm getting, you know, more intelligent as I get older, or at least more, we more hope, observational, yeah. like, I'm like, man, I wouldn't give up those 10 years that I know are going to be full of ups and downs for any amount of money or any amount of success. Cause like at the end of the day, the more we achieve, the more we do look, it is fun. I mean, I like winning awards. I like speaking to audiences. I love it when people applaud in my documentaries. I mean, these things are fun. I love parties. Right? I love parties. But, you know, it's it's the ups and downs and every the time is all we got. Right. And like as Will Smith says, you know, he said I read his book, Will, which if you haven't read is also great. Um, I read it pre slap. It just hit different. See what I did there. <laughs> um, but um, he talks about how, you know, like none of us are born with any wisdom or knowledge at all. And the only way we gain that wisdom knowledge is like time and effort and energy. And, and in most cases, an awful lot of failure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's just, man, uh, enjoy the time and, and, and take the risks, do the things. Uh, and, and most assuredly, make sure you mark your calendar for October 18th. Go for stupid. Steve's new book is coming out. Uh, Steve, one of the things I loved uh, in the book you talked about, there it is, uh, and go to uh, go to goforstupid.com now if you want to pre-sign up to learn more and to be reminded when it's coming out. Um, you got, you've done some amazing, like you've created some amazing experiences for your clients. Uh, I mean, tell a couple of them and then let's go to sort of the question you started asking those people about how you were able to do that and how come no one else had been able to do it. So give us give us an idea of some of the most extravagant ones so we had a client that contacted us and said hey i'd like to go backstage and meet the rock band journey and we thought well okay and this was always our mentality that's where the name of the book came from go for stupid we would take the goal we would go back sit at our desk and like you say about the hairy audacious goal we would sit there and we go okay we've got a guy who wants to go backstage with journey how can we make this stupid 
And that's literally what we would frame the conversation. How can we make this laughable? How can we take it from where it is and get a stupid goal going here? And that's how it all started. So we thought, going backstage and meeting Journey, eh, bit naff, you'll shake hands with him, and I'll have forgotten your name before they hit the green room. So what we did was we got him on stage, and he sang on stage live with the rock band Four Tunes, and is now deemed as the shortest-term lead singer of the rock band Journey. We had another client that contacted us, said, hey, I'm going to Florence with my fiance, mother-in-law and father-in-law, and a friend. Uh, so there's only six of us going along. Can you set up a cool dining experience? Now, in Tuscany, there's loads of dining experiences. How could we make that request stupid? We ended up closing down the Academia de Galleria, which is the famous museum that houses probably the most iconic statue in the planet. Michelangelo's David set a table of six. And at nine o'clock in the evening, they turned up, had the entire museum to themselves at the feet of the most iconic statue in the planet. And then as they started munching into their main course pasta, I said I'd bring a local entertainer in just to give them some dinner time entertainment and music. And I brought in the maestro himself, Andrea Bocelli. You see, I take what was asked and then I look how I can make it stupid. And even today when I'm coaching businesses and clients, whether it be speaker training or focusing on your businesses or focusing on your branding, like as you mentioned, I was keynote and headlining traffic and conversion last week, which was weird as hell. And I, I go through these, I like, hey, you're here. Don't go here because you think it's achievable. Let's get a stupid goal. And even if you fail at that goal, you'll be 500 times ahead of what you would have originally accepted. And that's the daft thing. That's amazing. So, yeah. And so that go for stupid. I love it. I love the concept. I love the idea. And the bottom line here is that when, like, I met with Steve Forbes a couple weeks after that, after that meeting, because I asked if he was willing to meet. Like it's asking and, and, you know, look, we both know this. I don't, this would be interesting how we articulate this. There are asks that are, um, I don't mind a laughable ask. What I hate is a, a presumptive ask or an entitled ask. And those are very different in that I have people, I get where I get because I, I value people's time and energy and their effort. And I realize that things like this are going to cost money. I don't ask for things that are like, Hey, you, I don't, I don't approach and ask like you owe me a favor. I approach and ask like, Hey, have you ever thought of, or what would it take? Or, Hey, I know you're busy, but what do you think about this? I think there's a, like, cause I've had clients and, and even friends who, when I take them into a situation like that, like you're talking about the Elon situation, for some reason, they just don't understand how the world works all of a sudden. And they think that like, I don't know, Elon should come to dinner with them that night. And, or what, like, whatever. It's like, how do you, how do you help people? And how do you kind of understand that, that social awareness that goes around with these asks as well? So what you're talking about is a demand. It's not an ask. It's a demand. You just, you've just convinced yourself it's an ask. If I go to you and go, hey, yeah, I've got, I need something from you. You know, can you do this with that kind of presumption? That's a demand. Nobody likes demands. No. Okay. And in today's world, we haven't got a lot of tolerance anymore because we've been yelled at. We've been lied at. We've been manipulated. It's a horrible time in our generation for noise. So when you come at me with a demand, I don't care if it's just to turn the air conditioning on or get you a coffee. 
No one likes a demand. It's immediately going to make you uh, repel. So the way you've got to do it is you've got to give a reason. You've got to attack with a reason and a benefit. Here's a little game I play, and I do this with my coaching as well. I play the barbecue game. Have you ever heard of the barbecue game? No. Right. Let's play it. So I'm having a barbecue this Saturday night in Los Angeles, and I say, hey, Nick, I'm having a barbecue. Do you want to come to my barbecue? And you say yes. What is the first question you ask me? What can I bring? But I probably ask you, uh, where is it and what time? All right. I'm glad you did it that way around. A lot of people will go, what time is it? Where is it? Who will be there? Yo, can I take photographs? What shall I wear? And they'll come up with about five or six before the one that thankfully you came up with first. What can I bring? You see, every relationship is a barbecue. If you turn up with all of these questions, it's a demand. You're pulling stuff from someone with no benefit for them. Now, when you get into a relationship, when you're starting to talk to someone, you know, you want to you nil some game. Neither of you are benefiting from the conversation. But if you can show up in your head to every relationship going, hey, what can I bring to this party? That's how it changes. I want something from Nick. I want to be on Nick's podcast. But if I come along, even though me and you have known each other for years, if I contacted you, I went, yo, Nick, I've got a book I'm trying to flog. Get me on your podcast. When can we do it? Even though we know each other, that's going to upset you. Okay, just that presumption. I literally this morning got a guy that I haven't spoken with maybe 10 years. We weren't tight then, but he's got a book for sale now. So he's smarming up to me. Hey, I've been watching what you're doing. It's great. Hey, I've got a new book coming out. When would be a good time for me to get on your podcast? Never. You know, I work with relationships, not assumptions. But if I was to turn around and go, hey, Nick, I know you're doing this documentary. I know you've been trying to get hold of so-and-so. I'm actually at a speaking gig with them. Can I get a video conference at that gig so I can make an introduction? Now you're like, oh, yeah, and then oh, great, because I've got this book I'm coming out. Hey, I know you've got a podcast. Would you have any time whatsoever? And only if the market fits right. to actually maybe speak. You see, what I've done now is I've led with the value. And you've got to be prepared that even if you get a no on the ask, you still come through with the value. Yeah. And yeah. during COVID, during COVID, everyone was at home. When COVID started and I realized no one's traveling, no one's on a black tie gala, no one's recording an album, everyone's at home. I made a hit list of all of the people that I hadn't been able to contact. And it was some weird number, like 63 or 67. I remember it being an odd number. And I thought, these are the people I've never been able to get hold of because their life's too busy. Got hold of every single one of them. Wow. During COVID, everyone out there going, oh, COVID's horrible. It was freaking awesome for me because I used it for my benefit. And I contacted all of these people. Now, I wanted to do a lot of stuff with them. And I would probably say only maybe a quarter of them at the time had something that we could work on together. The rest of them not. But I've started the relationship. Now, I can keep going. And all of a sudden, you know, in six years' time, as long as I keep feeding that relationship, something's going to turn. I've just given myself a great load magnet here of future deals. But that's the focus. Whenever you communicate with anyone, and you've already given examples here, 
you know, Peter Diamandis and, and uh, Dan Sullivan, you kept on trying and you kept on exposing value. And they saw tenacity, they saw standard, and they saw value. Who doesn't want to be part of that? And so that's the focus. What can you bring to someone's party? That's a, that's a great that's a great question. I one of my favorite uh, axioms is everything easy to do is equally easy not to do. That is so easy to do that you may not do it. But I can assure you, if you start asking that question first, we're gonna we're gonna turn that the Steve's we're gonna call it the Sims barbecue question. And so from now on, that's how it shall be referred to the SBQ. And so um, <laughs> instead of the BBQ, it's the SBQ. We're gonna go there, and you should do some shirts, Steve. I think it's worth it. That uh, is but, cool. I never SBQ. BQ. That is, I've done that game so many times. I did it. I did it on a big person's podcast. The guy was massive. Do you know he got up to probably about the sixth question that looked after him before he came out with the "What can I bring to the party?" So six answers that benefited him before the one that benefited me. And I called him out on this barbecue, and he was like, "No." And it, you know, his wife apparently yelled at him about it, and he got some shit on. He's a cool guy, but he got some shit on it. And ever since, he's like, "I, I, I don't want to be invited to your barbecue. I got it wrong." So, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good, good way of looking at things. The Sims barbecue question. So, so I assure you, if you start asking that yourself that every day, uh, you will. It will change the way you operate because really, that is that's how you and I have learned. I mean, everything you just gave there was a. Um, it's just natural to you now, but it's a master class on communicating and relationships. You know, it's funny how actually a great reference between here and now, and I only, you didn't even remember. I remind you when I saw you a few weeks ago, you know, when I was trying to figure out what to do with Peter Diamandis' movie, we're in the hallway, actually at another Joe Polish event. You go, Nick, meet Giovanni, Giovanni, meet Nick. And you walked off and we're both like, uh, we talked a little bit. We weren't sure what, like how we could help each other, but we knew <laughs> you were a good dude. And so we each trusted each other. And then like seven or eight years later, we made Dreamer won a couple uh, yeah. Emmys together. We now have just, we haven't announced it publicly, but you're involved in our movie, you know, Hero that we're making. And we're, we're doing stuff, we're doing stuff together. And it's because of, at, it was because of an, a good introduction that you thought would be valuable, but neither of us needed to figure it out in the next 45 seconds no. in the hallway. We just, you know, my thing is always like, hey, I, I mean, I'm as far as I know, I'm not going anywhere. If God has different plans, I won't care anyway, but yep. I'm not going anywhere. So if it takes a year, two years, five years, 10 years. And the funny thing is that people think, people think the more successful you get, um, the less rejection you get. I would say there's a paradox to that too. You actually, you might get less number of rejections, but the ones you get hurt so much worse because they're bigger rejections. I remember I actually, so I, I think you know this, Steve, I put Rudy Rudiger, the famed football player, the real guy on Broadway for one night only, sold out in 43 minutes. It was awesome. We got write-ups in Broadway gazettes and stuff. And it was awesome. One of the coolest experiences of my life. Rudy wasn't actually the guy who I was going to do it with first. I'm, I'm not going to rat everybody out here, but there's a guy, a super famous guy, who is. I asked him, you know, what he, what else he wanted in life, and he told me he hoped he woke up the next day. And he's a pretty older gentleman, and then he said, "Man, I've always wanted to do a one man one man Broadway show." So I said, "Got it. This is a way I could provide value to this guy." So I go and I set up everything. I have a friend who did Jersey Boys. I have another friend uh, who produced uh, Book of Mormon and Wicked. And so I like figured out how I could hack this system and make a one-man show happen for this guy. One night only, I wasn't willing to bet the entire farm, but it was expensive enough. It was like betting half the farm. And so he says, awesome, Nick. Um, you know, my I have a family member who works on Broadway. Would, would you speak 
with them about it. And so I did, and I knew this was not going to work great because I'm trying to do a handshake deal with a guy who tells me his goal, his dream is to get on Broadway. Mind you, his family member has never gotten him on Broadway, yet I'm supposed to speak with his family member who happens to run one of the biggest Broadway shows on earth that's probably uh, $200 million a year show. And I'm talking to this guy, and I, I understand. I'm like, this is probably not going to work, but I'll give it a shot. Hey, I'm trying to put your you know your family member on Broadway, and you know here's how it's going to work. We've done a couple things before. I'm going to take all the risk, and we'll split the reward. And uh, you know, I told him how I fund things. I don't take investments, only contributions. I like trying to lay it all out for for the person, and they go, I mean, you know, Nick, this is what I heard. I, Steve, I can't swear these exact words he said, but they're close. And here's what I heard, Nick, you are either one of the smartest people I've ever met or one of the biggest hucksters on earth. And I've met an awful lot of smart people. So I said, you know, so very hard not to take that personal, but yeah. you, learn it, you learn as you grow. And so I said, okay, understood. Here's the deal. How about this? Um, I'll do it with uh, Rudy would love to do it. I know. So how about I put, uh, I, so I called the, the family members trying to put on Broadway. I'm trying to expose anyone here. I said, Hey, you know, your, your family members trying to protect you. I get it. No worries. I'm going to go ahead. I'll put Rudy on Broadway. Then I'll show you the financials. And you can tell me if you want to do it. Well, we'll put Rudy on. It did very well. Rudy made some money. Everyone made some money. It was a lot of fun. It was a sort of a, a life-changing deal. We ended up filming it, putting it up on Amazon Prime. And then, you know, the other guy happens to pass away in the meantime. So I can never do it again. But, you know, those, that hurts. I mean, at the time I had like 15 Emmys. I'd done projects with some legendary people. And you get someone who says something like that to you. Like, it's really easy. And I, trust me, I did want to crawl in a hole. But then I said, you know, I could crawl in a hole and let this guy get the best of me. Or I can prove him wrong, which is even more fun. And I went yeah. anyway. And so I don't want people to think that the higher you climb, the less rejection you get. No, it's actually, I mean, it's just different types of rejection, but it is all how you process it and what you choose to do with it as a, as a hits, you know? No, exactly. Exactly. You, you are right. And it all comes down to that tenacity and the recognition of, uh, or how are you going to receive it? We're all going to get abuse. We're all going to get laughter. We're all going to get rejection. It comes down to how you receive it. And in your situation, you got it. You turned it into fuel to work on the other show. Who knows? It may have actually perpetuated to fight uh, for you to fight harder. You never know that. I I think it did. And again, that's I love your answer to that. If you can go back and tell your your you know younger self or change something, what I, I agree. I mean, what what most people don't realize because look, I'm I'm in the storytelling business, and and thankfully most people I work with are not narcissistic individuals. Most people can say, oh, I don't really have a story. And I'm like, whoa, whoa wait a second. Um, and so they, I have to go with them through their journey to figure out what is valuable to them. One of the examples I use all the time is like, okay, well, so look, all right, you think you're not, you're not sure what you have a value to share. Okay, let me give you an example. If we were walking down, a, we're hiking down a path and you see a snake that you know is poisonous, are you going to not say anything? No, you're going to say, Nick, don't step near that snake. That's poisonous. Well, okay. So if that's something valuable enough to share. You weren't worried about the fact that you weren't wearing the right clothes. You know, you didn't have the right hiking shoes. You didn't like, you didn't give me any excuses. You just shared what was valuable. Okay. So now that we understand that 
there are that if it's valuable enough to share, you will share it. Now let's go dig through what the gold is that you have to share. And let's look at the ups and the downs in your life. And I tell everybody, divide your life yeah. into three quadrants, or I guess it wouldn't be quadrants, be thirds. Divide your life into three thirds. I don't care how it's done. Uh, it could be grade school, college, early career. It could be, you name it. It'd be 20 years segments, whatever you want. I guarantee you, if you write down the five most positive events in your life during each of those times, and the five most negative events that happen in your life in that in those times. First of all, the positive ones you probably processed really well. Negative ones, probably not so much. Probably give you knots in your stomach. But if you go through and process those events and, as our friend Dan Sullivan says, try to reprocess and figure out what that did for you, how that made you you know, how, how that codified who you are as a person, how that made you fight more, how that made you stronger, how that made you like, you know, even though, you know, it could have been a death of someone in a car accident, not your fault, terrible situation, but what did it teach you to do? What did you learn from that? Maybe to value time with people more, whatever it is. If you go back and you do those, those things, I guarantee you, even if it's just the negative experiences, 15, you will have 15 things you can teach people and, you know, I love interviewing people who are 60, 70, 80 years old because I get a 30, 40, 50 year shortcut. Yeah. Like, and so realizing that what what you know is of value to someone, to someone. And most people go, oh, it's just not that important. Another example, barbecue example. Um, I just bought a big green egg because people just won't shut up about them. I'm like, I got to try this thing. <laughs> and in fact, I just bought a second big green egg. They are that good. But I'll tell you what I did the very first time I used it. I went to freaking YouTube and looked up how to light a big green egg. It's literally the, other than assembly, which I paid someone to do, it is literally the very first thing you must do before you could ever use it. And I guarantee you the barbecue masters out there would, would say, I mean, I don't know what I could teach people. Well, I, someone is at the beginning. Someone is at the beginning of the journey. So even if you're not sure what to share yet, just you're not impressed with your knowledge because you know it. Shaq yeah. is also not impressed by people by being seven foot seven. He was born that way. So like we all have these things that we, thankfully we sort of hum humbly go, that's not a big deal, but we all have those stories to share. And if you don't step into that and own it, you're, you're losing the opportunity to help other people not step on the snake. So I highly encourage people to do that. Steve, your new book, go for stupid coming out October 18th goforstupid.com. Everybody go check it out. Sign up on Steve's list. Uh, he does bring value all the time. So I don't even, I recommend getting on his email list. I would not, I'm not hiding it from you, which I do with some of my guests because uh, you may not want to get spammed all day and night. All right. Um, let's go over one last story. Um, tell us about Kenneth, the bartender and the lesson you learned from Kenneth, the bartender. This was incredible. Um, and you can get information and benefit from some of the strangest places, but entrepreneurs, we're open-minded to that and we're open to receive that. So I actually, I went to San Francisco and I was running a speakeasy there, which is my version of a mastermind two day event. And it was up in San Francisco, turned up at the hotel and I went into the hotel, I was having lunch and I had a speaking gig that I was doing that afternoon, the day before my event. And this guy came over, uh, this, you know, waiter came over to ask me if I wanted some lunch and I ordered some food and we were in the bar area and they dropped me with the cocktail list. Now it's lunchtime. I don't usually drink at lunchtime, but I was tired and I could do with just unwinding for a few hours and they had an old fashioned there. And I remember saying to the guy, look, I don't want to be an ass. 
but I like old fashions. They've got to be good. Um, is this good? And this guy uh, kind of like, you know, scared and intimidated by me asking him that question, goes up to the bartender, says something to the bartender. The bartender comes out, speaks to me, and like, you know, what do you like? What do you do? And, and um, quite simply, gay fella, gay Asian fella, real character, really colorful, but a real over-the-top character. Now, bear in mind, I was tired, okay? And now I've got this flamboyant fellow in front of me uh, saying, you know, what do you like? How do you like it? And, I, so, and then he turned around and he said, I'm not going to give you that old-fashioned, but I've got what you want. And he goes off. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty ballsy to tell me that he's not going to give me what we've just basically spoken about for 10 minutes. And he comes back with his drink. And, oh, my God, it was beautiful. He did it. Large chunk of ice, really cool cocktail glass, knocked it up. And he even gave me a little write-down on what it was and the ingredients if I wanted to make it at home. And I was like, that's brilliant. Now, I went away. I actually loved that drink so much, I actually posted it up on Facebook. And loads of people turned up at the bar asking for this guy to make the Sims drink. Okay? So we made him famous in one afternoon. Anyway, bottom line of it is, it was about a day later, and I'm talking to someone in the hotel, and I'm like, I love this hotel. And he said, are you kidding? I went, are you... No, I'm not. I absolutely love it. The attention, the, the, the commitment is brilliant. Now, my first reaction and introduction to that hotel was Kenneth, this, this barman, okay? Loud character, defying what I asked for, but giving me what I needed, understanding, because he took that. That was the experience I had. But a lot of the other people had met the moody staff on the desk or the moody people getting from the car into the hotel. They hated the hotel. But my entire hotel, my entire blanket, well, I love this hotel, was based on Kenneth. And they never met Kenneth. So I actually wrote about him in the book because who are the first people that your product's being introduced to? Who's the first point of entry when they come into your world? Whether it be your website, your funnels, your copy, your pictures, your social proof, whatever it is, are you being met by a Kenneth? Or are you being met by a moody receptionist? And it was it was a real great lesson I learned, thanks to Kenneth. A Kenneth or a Karen, who is first, right? That's all I got to know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Steve, you've dropped all sorts of bombs on us. I think the SBQ is my favorite, uh, and we'll, we'll keep rolling with that. Uh, your new book, uh, Go for Stupid, October 18th, goforstupid.com. Uh, look Steve up on, on all the socials. He usually goes by Steve D. Sims, I imagine, because there's some other dork out there named Steve Sims, too. That uh, is. Find, find the real one. Find the, and I don't know who he is. Probably not dork, whatever. But uh, find <laughs> the real one. Steve D. Sims. He can't be as cool as Steve D. Sims. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show with me. And I uh, hope to see you soon. Look off, self, Nick. Be good. Hey, Nick Nanton here, and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching.